0: Day 39. One of the questions I get asked most often at the moment is how do you manage to sleep with that on? As they point to the anodized titanium fixator encapsulating my right foot. It's a fair question because it does look like my leg is in a medieval torture device. It's an important question too because R.E.S.T. is the first element of the well-known RICE recovery acronym, including ICE, Elevation and Compression. While this R.E.S.T. primarily applies to not using the injured area, the therapeutic benefit of sufficient sleep to recuperation is well-known. The answer to the question is that I'm really sleeping pretty well. I have some extra pillows for elevation, but I can sleep on my side as well as my back. Hazards include turning over and ripping the sheets or denting Ailsa. It obviously helps in everything in life is three times as tiring as normal. Today I'm thankful for good rest and a comfortable bed to sleep in. I'm grateful for such small mercies, which are gifts not to be taken for granted. Emotional maturity does not develop automatically as we age. In fact, some experiences can stunt our growth rather than accelerate it. I've had first-hand experience of experience leaders whose behaviour has more in common with a toddler having a tantrum than an elder sharing wisdom. How we cope when we are under pressure has great significance in determining if we grow up or slip back through the experience. In facing difficulty and handling complexity, there is a time to shut up and a time to sing. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent Not even saying anything good, but my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth, without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent, I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me, I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord, listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. David starts this song by saying he will keep his tongue from sin. He appreciates the temptation that anger will get the better of him and he will speak in a way that makes things worse rather than better. He uses strong imagery of putting a muzzle on his mouth in the presence of the wicked. If I was writing this, I would have been more inclined to ask that God would place a muzzle on my enemies rather than me being the one who is quiet. The silence is a choice and extends to not saying anything. He chooses not to even say something good because he does not trust what he might say. I went into an environment some years ago where I was aware that leaders were in the habit of shouting at people during meetings. I think it's important to raise your voice, to warn someone if they are in mortal danger. But this seldom happens during meetings in an office. So generally better not to speak loudly and harshly if you are annoyed or are just trying to make a point. I said to the folks, I can't stop you shouting at me, but I will not be shouting at you at any point. It's not easy holding your tongue sometimes. David speaks of anguish. He describes the sensation of heat. His heart is hot and he feels like he is burning up. It's almost as if not speaking builds up pressure within him. I know that sometimes I want to say something to someone, but my motives are more to do with opening a valve to let off some steam rather than trying to make things better. Sometimes I talk too much. When David does speak, he expresses something quite unexpected to the Lord. He asks that God will show him how short his life is and how small he is. It is a prayer for perspective. When situations threaten to overwhelm us, our desire will often be to change our circumstances. David asks instead, that God will help him to view his circumstances differently. He does not resolve the conflict or eliminate the evil, but he begins to see both himself and his enemies from a different point of view. This gives voice to understanding that not only is he small in the light of God's greatness, the people who oppose him are not nearly as secure as they appear or believe themselves to be. The vantage point of eternity brings a dramatic reorientation. People rush about storing up riches without appreciating the point of it or what will happen to all they work so hard to secure. Their wealth will be consumed like a moth. Jesus talks in Matthew's Gospel There is a fragility and an impermanence to what we hold in our hands. The shortness of life and the inevitability of death draw a line under all our affairs. There is an alternative which secures an inheritance for ourselves rather than just leaving one for others. This is not viable because we change our accounts, but because we have a different allegiance. David states clearly that his hope is in the Lord. Where is my hope and who and what do I love? These are big questions. David explains that the real reason he has not spoken is that he recognises he is facing God's judgment. He asks that God will lift this and save him. In the final verse, David uses an interesting expression. He says, I will dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. He acknowledges that he does not fit in, that he is not at home in the world. He is part of the people of God. We live a life in exile and await a future return home. But David also asks that he will know God's goodness in this life. Peter writes in his first letter that the people of God are to live as exiles and strangers. Immediately before these words is a summary of their identity, which is the key to their being out of step with the world. We have a new destiny because of this new identity. We have been accepted, adopted, called and commissioned. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. David belongs to the Lord. He too has received mercy. From his silence, words form that shape prayers and become song.